0: welcome to the move forward podcast with dr kim moss we are here to move you forward in the call of god for your life your career and your ministry through prophetic insight practical teaching and powerful conversations with influential leaders never throw away your confidence it is time to move forward
1: well hey everybody welcome to the move forward podcast i'm your host dr kim moss and we are back with my two friends, Ken Fish and Adam Knapp, to talk more about prophets and the call of a prophet and what that really looks like and, and how we should be approaching such a thing. So you already know my two friends, you know that you can find Ken Fish at OrbisMinistries.com and you can find my friend Adam Knapp at the branch in North Carolina, the church, the branch. So would you please welcome back my friends, Adam and Ken. Hey, you guys, I'm so glad I'm supposed to be adding you. There we go. I'm so glad that you're here with me today to uh, talk again about this. We left off last time with a very important conversation. As we've said each and every time, we're in a moment in history where I think that we're receiving a course correction, and it's not for condemnation. It's never about that with Jesus. There's always redemptive, uh, a redemptive place in it. With the Lord, and I just feel like it's an opportunity. You know, I talk a lot uh, lately about being shrewd and meaning understanding where you're actually at, seeing it in with a, a reality, a lens of reality through through a lens of reality, so you know actually where this is really at right now, and then looking with a prophetic eye where this could go if things don't change and then stepping into that opportunity to help bring change or to walk with the change that is happening we talk a lot about breakthrough we want breakthrough we we pray for breakthrough but then when a breakdown comes of what was because in order to have a breakthrough you got to have a breakdown you know, picture it like a wall. You can't break through that wall unless you have a breakdown of the wall first. We sort of go, no, 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 don't do that. So that's why this conversation is really important. I think that we have a lot of prophetic ministries. I think we talk a lot about the gift of prophecy, uh, but I think that it's really important right now to talk about the call of the prophet. Last week, we talked a lot about um, the eldership and the governing gift of profit, the office of profit, how to know that you have a call this week. I want to get into where we actually left off last weekend and uh, last week, excuse me. And that is um, the development of the prophet. So I love what you both said last week when we talked about governing. Does it automatically mean that you have a position of government in the church or in in even a larger sphere of influence than a local church? Um, and you both were like, "No, wait. You know, there has to be there has to be development of character. Uh, there has to be a development of trust within uh, the sphere of influence that you are." Uh, and Often that begins at the local church level. And of course, I'm a big believer in the local church. I know that you all are. And uh, so let's talk about that a little bit, shall we? First of all, I want to go back just for a minute and I want to ask the question, uh, Adam, I'm going to start with you. Does a prophet have to be part of a local church? And I know that Two weeks ago, when we talked about community, it was really an important part um, of the call of a prophet uh, within community. Community is is how um, is how we solidify that there's actually a call on your life. It's part of it's part of that uh, mark on on a prophet's life. So, talk to me about um, does a prophet have to be part of a local church?
2: Yeah absolutely not even up for debate not even up for discussion there is no new testament uh, example that that is not how it operates now when we say a part of a church so because we have a different expression in modern church so does that mean that the said prophetic voice has to be at church every sunday every wednesday at the midweek bible study and prayer time and also at the saturday outreach no not necessarily um, if they're home they should be trying to be a part of the community as consistently as they can but that also comes in the dynamics of family, work, other things that go on. But let's say that, you know, in the case of this, you know, prophetic person has a prophetic ministry or prophet has a prophetic ministry and travels. Well, then what, what does it mean when to come home? What is home? And I think that's the biggest question. And I think even to some degree, if you're traveling so much that you have no connection to what is home, then I think you're probably traveling too much. Like there should be some dynamic where your pastor knows you, where you, you're you eating together semi-regularly, where maybe once a quarter he's sitting down with you and asking about your family. And if they don't know your kids and they don't know your wife and your wife hates your church and never likes to go, we're in trouble. Like we're, we're at a, we're at a, a point where we need to pull back. Um, and I just think for many people, that's usually when they start to charge forward is all right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the more calls are coming, the more doors are open. Every door has got to be a God door. And it's like, if the door leads your, your wife to being left home or your kids to being disconnected or it doesn't actually give you involvement in a local body, then, I, then then maybe that door isn't the Lord. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's a door that the Lord wants to close. You know. And so, yeah, for me, you need to be anchored. And that needs to have some level of connection more than even just I pay tithes you know, or I give my offering to this church. You no, know, your body needs to show up. That pastor needs to know you. They need to know the weaknesses you have right? That would be the, there's the great question. Does your local community know your weaknesses? If they don't, you're not in community sufficient enough.
1: Woo. I think that's really, (laughs) yes. The question that comes to my mind as I'm listening to you, are there, um, I, I think that itinerant ministry would grow out of your experience in community, and just like we said, you grow in governments, governance. Um, last week, I don't think that uh, from the very beginning you're ready or mature enough for an itinerant ministry. I mean, as we know, I think that we we would all say, I know that I certainly would say that until you your character is uh, has grown sufficiently, you're not even ready to handle the pressure of the office of the prophet, because it comes with a lot of pressure. And when I say pressure, I'm talking about the pressure to perform, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. the pressure to, um, to, to gather approval, you know, some, some, prophets i see prophetic people that i would question their their office of the prophet but they are they are doing prophetic ministry simply to gain approval for themselves to feel better about about some wounding that they have from the past and they haven't sufficiently been healed from that. I, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect before you operate in the office of the prophet, but I am saying that there's a certain amount of development, character development and maturity that needs to come before you're ready to handle the pressure of, of uh, the call of a prophet. And certainly before you're able to handle the pressure of an itinerant ministry.
2: I mean, I, Everybody's I mean, nodding. In there, yes. No. I. Yeah. I mean. I. I. I think to agree, and then I'll step out for Ken. I think the other, the other side of it is, it's not. If you're actually called as a prophet to the body of Christ, there is the pressure to perform. That is the modern circus, right? That they want us to jump and act, and you know, give out when they ask for it. Um, but then there's there's a deeper pressure, and I think this is the the reason why community is avoided. There is the pressure of handling people's hearts well right like it's easy to show up at a church that doesn't know you preach your you know one of your three best bang sermons and give a couple of words of knowledge and then leave like that is as much as everyone's like that's so hard that is the easiest part of prophetic ministry and if that is the hardest part you're probably not a prophet but the that that's not hard to do what's hard to do is to come back with you know sister sally who has annoyed you for the last six months with dreams that aren't from god and she emails you again with another dream to interpret and you have to handle her as one of christ's daughters and not just as this person who's become an annoyance to you right like it's it's dietrich Bonhoeffer's life together it's 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 doing this thing where we actually allow people to to annoy us and, and frustrate us and then also To realize that prophetic people can be also annoying and frustrating, and allow people to have to show less grace, and and that's that's the stuff. There's the for me, that's actually the harder pressure to be present and to be authentic in community. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. And that's
1: character development. I mean, you you can't. How does your character develop unless you are in community? You know, because there's no tests to go through. There's no, there's no, like you say, pressure to, to handle the, the one who needs extra grace, you know, and, and you have to find it. You have to, you have to allow God to give it to you. You have to stay soft. You know, you have to still be in love with the body of Christ because this is the bride of Christ and he loves them, you know, and, and this is part of maturing and this is part of the test of your Character and so, Ken, what do you have to say? Because I know that you're you're sitting there. I can see you nodding your head.
3: Well, I'm just thinking of something John Wimber used to say that um, church is where you learn to love people that you wouldn't ordinarily like. Yeah, and so when you're in community, there will be, of course, some people to whom you are naturally drawn, and there will be people that we used to call them EGRs, and you just use that term, extra grace required. And maybe maybe they aren't even, uh, you know, the classic weirdo. It may simply be that their style in life or the way they think about things or the way they were raised or whatever. They read a King James Bible and you can't handle King James. I mean, it could be any number of things. Right. Yes. But the bottom line is you would rather not be around them if you were thinking of who do I want to spend an evening with and go out to dinner. And that's not to say you have to become besties with this person, but uh, you do need to learn to treat them with grace, to accept the gifts of God that flow through them. And, you know, I, I like what Bill Johnson says about the culture of honor. It's celebrating, you know, the good that's in somebody without becoming offended or stumbled over what isn't in them. And so, you know, instead of creating a roadblock there, instead saying, okay, how do I find common ground here and learn to collaborate and work with this person in whatever it is that we're doing together in the church? Mm -hmm. I think that's that's part of the maturation that the Lord wants to do in knocking the edges off of us. I mean, we all know what that is because all three of us are married. This goes on in marriage, right? You fall in love with somebody and then you get married to them. And it's like, ah, an alien. Where did this person come from? You know, and you you work that out if the marriage is going to succeed. And a lot of people's marriages fail because they yep. don't learn to work that out. Well, yeah. this is a fairly apt analogy as we think about the church, too.
1: And I think, too, that um, it's in the local church that we begin to get developed as we encounter an apostolic leader, a pastoral leader, an evangelistic leader, right? Because, um, these other gifts have something to give us and, um, and teachers, for example, how many, how many prophets that we personally probably know that, that actually could use some regular interaction with a teacher (laughs) regarding scripture and the things that they, um, are wanting to say to a congregation but they but they don't have the proper founding, you know not every single person i I would not say uh, I think that we touched on this very briefly last last time, but I would not require Every office prophet um, to have a uh, high level education. I would not require them to go to seminary, have mm-hmm. a have a bachelor's, master's, doctor. I wouldn't re- I wouldn't require that. As a matter of fact, when people ask me about it, I tell them, unless God has asked you to do it, um, you are spending a lot of time and money, um, and energy on something that you you probably don't need. God knows if you need it or not. However. That doesn't mean that they don't have to, uh, as we touched on last time, handle the word rightly. And so the way to learn how to do that and develop in some of that so that when you get up and preach, you're not teaching false doctrine, which some of them actually are teaching uh, error. They actually are. And I agree. Um, yeah, actually agree. are. And and it, it infuriates me. Can you hear the passion in my voice? Um and really all it all it requires is that you have a relationship with a teacher, someone who is taught, does know how to handle the scripture that you can bounce things off of. And that comes in the context of the community of the body of Christ, which is why we need that round table of elders that we talked about last time. So let's talk about I want to ask about the development of a profit. And I want to move from there into just so you know where I'm heading into the whole issue of accountability, because I think this is a big deal. And I think that it it's time that we actually address it. And I, I know many people are addressing it, not just us, but however, we'll lend our voices. So tell me, uh, tell me, um, Ken, what is the development of what would you see as the development of a prophet or the timeline for a development? I've heard many things and I have to tell you that I have young people come to me often and say, oh no, well, God told me that he's accelerating my development, which means, you know, which so that what they're telling me is that because I have a gift and I'm telling you that I'm called that tomorrow you ought to move over, hand me your baton and stick me on your platform." you know, though they have very little experience. So please talk to me about the development of a profit.
3: Well, I think to cut to the chase, there is no one timeline. Um, People always want to say, what do I need to do? How do I punch the ticket? And again, I'm going to go back to an analogy from my corporate life. I myself did this. And once I was further up the food chain, uh, people would come to me if, you know, that were seeking promotion uh, in, in the corporation and they would say, what do I need to do in order to be promoted? And the question really many times didn't have a very good answer. I mean, there might be in some cases where I could say, well, we want to see more of this skill in you or we want to see more of this kind of judgment. And let's be clear, we don't mean judgment like condemning people. This is judgment, business judgment. We're talking about a secular context. The word judgment is the one that makes everybody recoil and manifest in the church. Isn't even a thing here. It's, it's not even what we're talking about, but we're looking for better judgment from you. Um, I might be able to point to some of those things and give them some pointers. And we can do that in the church. But honestly, a lot of times, if you do that, people get angry and they stalk off and they leave the church and you know they're, they're all bent out of shape and and so other times we would we'd kind of go well you know and i used to sit on these committees where we would evaluate all the people that we were thinking about for promotion and what we needed to do to develop them and we would rotate them from this position to that position so their skill set could grow or they might be put into something that was challenging so we could see how they did in that kind of an environment um and with that sometimes we couldn't even give a specific thing we just go you're just not ready yet you know we we need we need to see we will know when we see it well what am i aiming at well you need to look like the other executives around here look like you need to make decisions the way we make decisions you don't have to be a cookie cutter but you need to be thinking consistently with the way we think your values need to reflect our values, our your priorities need to be the priorities of this organization, because this is the one you want to get ahead in. If you've got different priorities, maybe you need to be in a different uh, organization. And, you know, when you do things, do you generally deliver results? Um, I mean, you can miss here and there, uh, because nobody's perfect, and we understand that. But, but you need to be able pretty predictably to to deliver results, because You know what's going to happen is right now you're in, you know, whatever this job is here. Uh, But the day may come where we want to send you to our troubled operation in Germany in in a more senior role. And you're going to get out there to Germany and you'll have, you'll be able to call back to the home office and, and get whatever guidance or whatever you need. But by that point, we're going to assume that you're able to make good decisions, think on your feet. Um, you're not gonna be a rogue or a lone wolf, but at the same time, you don't need your hand held a lot either. And so if we're gonna send you out there to, in my example, Germany, but it could be anywhere, right? It could be Poughkeepsie, New York. But if we're gonna send you to that place, uh, we need to know that basically without somebody looking over your shoulder, you're gonna do things consistent with the way that we would want them done. And in the end, there's a higher probability that you will deliver good results and turn this operation around or grow the sales base or, you know, whatever it's going to be, that's going to happen than that it falls over and doesn't happen at all. And so that, that's what we call prudent risk-taking. And so again, there are a lot of analogies between what this looks like in the secular world and what it looks like in the church. And that which I've just described tells you that. Now, when I'm talking to an employee, Who's And I I mean, I I have had these conversations. Maybe he or she is 28 years old and, you know, they want to be a vice president. I'm not saying there can't be 28 year old vice presidents, but I'm looking for the competencies that are necessary to be a vice president and perform at that level. And at 28, maybe this particular individual isn't showing that. Maybe another one is. I don't know. But this one's the one I'm talking about how long is it going to take for me to get those competencies? Well, I don't know. It depends how long you fight it. It depends how, how quickly you catch on. It depends on what your EQ is. It depends on how many messes you make because you don't realize that you're in a large dispersed matrix organization and you can't just call the shots and be dogmatic. All of that is just stuff that we don't see it yet. We can see you're on a track. You're moving that way you might get there in three years. Maybe it's going to be five. It could be 10. I don't know. Um, I can help 20. you. I can coach you. But if you're not coachable, if you're not teachable is the word we use in the church, That's right. um, you're going to delay the process and it'll take longer than it should. That's all I can tell you.
1: Adam.
2: Um. So I don't want to reiterate the metaphor that was used was great. That, that there's a lot of application there. So I want to maybe look at this from two angles that I think just aren't discussed enough. Uh, the first is your actual gifts accountability. Uh, one of the things that's that has happened in, in the modern prophetic movement is we have downgraded the value of accuracy. Yeah. Right. So because we want everybody to try, and faith is spelled risk. And had, I realize I got a whimper, guy, so I'm not taking a shot at that quote. But but the this idea is. <laughs> that missing is no big deal right and doesn't really matter and you know i threw out 30 prophecies but one of them hit and um to be very honest i really do believe that we would do a lot better to have people prophesy less and submit their prophetic words more um rather than just winging it and seeing what sticks taking it to senior voices before it's declared and saving yourself the public miss so that the people learn to respect your voice one of the things that's hurting a lot of prophetic development is I have to watch you literally uh, mess your diaper in front of everyone all day long until you mature. I don't need to see that. Right. I cha- we change diapers in another room. Usually you don't do it publicly. But a lot of our prophetic methodology changes the diaper in front of everyone. And so by default, it's very hard for people to develop a respect for their word because I've had to watch you miss seven. If you would take those to a senior voice and not give them because you got corrected privately and you hit three out of three instead of three out of 10, wow, all of a sudden, even the people's reception of you goes up. So there's that whole level. There's also this thing that we don't tell people they miss it. We don't, well, you know, it's the stretching of words and the vagueness in which words are allowed to be given. Um, If you're actually called to be a prophet, you should not be vague. I'm sorry, you shouldn't be. Are there times you will be? Yes. Because we see in part and we prophesy in part. But if you are nine times out of ten vague or general or sorta or maybe or picking numbers out and saying, well, 12 means and five is grace and seven's," if that's what you're doing, like, we need to shut you up for a little bit. And we need to actually get you into a prayer closet and some fasting and some submission of words. And we need to wait till that, you know, till that sword gets a little sharper because you're not dividing between soul and spirit. You're sort of just throwing spaghetti at the wall. So there's one. The other side of this, and this is the thing that we don't want to talk about. um, So for me, we referenced in the last episode, Ken talked about young people be put into positions. And then I I opened and said, hey, I've been that guy. And I had it blow up in my face. One of the things that was never offered to me in my entire prophetic process was anyone dealing with the trauma that was in my heart. Right. There was no, uh, from my world, no one had ever introduced me to healing. One of the things that that latter rain stream had nothing to do with and showed up in so many of its prophetic heroes was that they never did any work on the soul. So you had these phenomenally gifted people like a Branham, um, who also, and their souls were, were so shallow and fickle and broken and weak. Right. But the gift would show up in this immense power. And so one of the things that, that, um, that I really teach now and is is bedrock to everything I do is like the the healing of the soul. Um, I, I think it would I think it would do a lot of people good to read Lauren Sanford's Understanding Prophetic People. Particularly, I think it's the second chapter where he goes over the rejection and some of the weird dynamics. Uh, another quote that I love um, is uh, and I, I believe it came from Lauren is PMS prophetic mood swings understanding that prophetic people have those and what does that do to your marriage and what does that do with your friends when you all of a sudden you're in that weird zone you know I, I loved coming out of the prophetic zone and coming home to change diapers nothing would shift you out of gears like a blown up diaper just all of a sudden okay I'm down again I'm not I'm not on stage anymore and, and so there are these things that that we don't talk about and so we we, we also have so many prophetic people that are that have okay, let's pull it back and just see if I can do this quickly. They've suffered rejection, (laughs) they've suffered, they've suffered trauma, they've suffered these deep things. And it's never been addressed. They're super gifted. So what happens, they also get a lot of attention and attraction. A lot of times they're married really young, right? Let's just start running this out. And what starts happening, all of a sudden, they didn't have the tools for marriage, they didn't have the tools for life, they didn't have the tools for just maturity, they don't know how to be good fathers. And but they can show up, and they can preach a rousing word, and they can tell you a couple of words of knowledge. But behind the veil, they're bankrupt, absolutely, utterly bankrupt. And I say that because I was the gifted kid from the time I was 14, but no one ever told me that I could heal from my mom giving me away for adoption, right? No one never said, hey, that kid can get healed, and he can minister prophetically. There was always the prophet and then the broken kid, right? and we don't talk about this because it's too uncomfortable and cuz somebody's phone always interrupts and so by default ah, we end up God in, is calling. Yeah, we end up in a place where we have these these yes. gifted people and here's the best part it's not just kids. The the amount of 50 and 60 and 70 year old prophets I know that never yes. got any healing from the way their dad beat them or from being molested or from, you know, this, that, or the other. And they have operated in ministry, they've masked these things. And by default now, then we we critique and go, well, they're a Saul. Well, that's because no one ever helped them heal. And now they're in leadership and they, have they have connived and fought and worked their way up this ladder and you're this young, all these layers are there. And in our accountability, no one is sitting down, um, I'll be honest, in numerous churches I've gone to, no one has ever sat down and asked my wife, what's it like being married then? No one. I can't think of a church I've traveled to who called my wife and said, what's it like being married then? Do you know how many itinerant ministers would have no ministry left if someone just called their wife? How many have never called my senior pastor and said, is Adam someone we should bring into our church? What is his reputation like in the community? i can't think of very many at all that have done any level of homework on me right and that's true for a lot and none of us like this ready i don't mind making things uncomfortable i'm good at it so like but this is the truth how many ministers do you know right now in your head you oh no if they called so-and-so's wife or so-and-so's husband uh, they don't even like they don't even want to be married to them yet alone here the minister and so if we're going to talk accountability, accountability has to and this is one of the biggest things for me, when it came time to restore my heart and my life. I, and this is my this is what I live by and she's walking up a stairs right now. There. If Lisa doesn't think I'm healthy, I'm not healthy. Mm-hmm. If Lisa doesn't think I should go, I don't go. If you know if lisa doesn't think i need to be posting or saying or doing i'm not doing it right there's my first there's my first test of accountability i'm accountable to my wife mm-hmm. then what about my leadership what is what does nick think right because i can say my leader's name i don't have to have any st- stutter with it right but you get some people on there like well uh, i'm connected to this one father who i talked to once a quarter maybe and i got this one guy who you know. oh, who's, who are the people you can call jason lee jones right now he'll talk to you about him and i's discussions right but this is this is what it takes, and, um, and this is uncomfortable. And, and I'll give one last, and I'm sorry, Kim, I ran too long. Um, if you can't be told no,
1: <laughs>
2: if you can't, if you, can't uh, you know, you're going to sit down with a leader but not even read their books, right? Like, there, there have been leaders I've met, and I've literally say to them, like, please tell me what you want me to read before we ever talk. I don't want to waste your time. I, you, you're a leader I want to draw out from. What do you have to say to me? Some of the leaders in my life right now, you know what they're doing? They're just librarians. I just text them and go, what should I read next? (laughs) What do you want me to to read? And the people that are giving me reading materials are killing me. This stuff is worse than seminary ever was. But I want to draw from them. So that's the other thing of, of that growing and that developing. You have to be willing to take the posture of a pupil. You have to be willing to sit at that person's feet. You have to be willing to hear them disagree with your politics, your doctrine, your theology. You have to be willing to hear because you want to learn from them. You want to draw from them. And if it's only you're willing to draw as long as they fast track you or as long as they agree with you, then then you're never going to develop. And and ultimately, one day you're going to have a chance to raise up people and no one's going to want to listen to you. You're going to raise up rebellious people because you were rebellious. Mm
3: -hmm. This is exactly why... I answered the question you asked, Kim, the way I did, because I can't tell you how long it's going to take That's for right. the things that Adam just described to drop into place in a, in, an, in an individual's life. Some people are very compliant. You know, when you, I used to train dogs, and some dogs, there's a term they use for it. They're very biddable. They want to please, and they are easily trained. Other dogs are much harder headed. Chesapeake Bay Retrievers, are very hard-headed dogs. And so it takes longer to train at Chessy. Well, it's a similar kind of process. Adam's nailing all of the right things. I agree with his list completely. But again, I, one of the things I like to tell people is you define the boundaries of your own wilderness experience. And the sooner you just lay down and die in the sense of you know just give up, let God have his way, the sooner you get to exit the wilderness.
1: So I, I of course totally agree with you. And as I'm as I'm listening uh to what you're saying, I'm thinking about uh the, the need for mothers and fathers in the church and leaders in the church who themselves have remained soft before the Lord, allowed their wounds and their you know, abandonment issues, their rejection issues, their Hello, insecurity issues uh, to be dealt with so that when a when a prophet comes into their house or a young person comes and emerges as a prophet and we know they have a call that we're not only developing the gift, yeah, which is, I think, what we often do, you know, we, we say, oh, wow, this person has a gift right here. I'm going to send them to this and that and such uh prophetic school or you know uh school of supernatural ministry which i love listen i teach at those places i'm just saying that those places um they may get a measure of healing they may god may may expose them in in certain aspects and allow them to get a measure of healing but it's in the context of a real community Right. In which they and which they get tested in ways that expose the next layer of healing that they need. And then do we run for the hills when when we see how messed up they are? Because I've seen that happen as well. Right. I mean, we we and so there's there's this side what I'm hearing from you is there is the side of the one who's called, you know, to to. As you said, uh, Adam, I think that's very appropriate to become a student, you know, to become a disciple, right? I mean, we're followers of Jesus, but to sit at the feet of a father or mother and and allow themselves to be taught, allow themselves to be disciplined, allow themselves, you know, to be tested and allow the words that are coming out of their mouth and not just their prophetic words.
3: You know, when I was another corporate analogy, when I was in uh, in corporate life, many times you you, you know, you hire people in their young. They may have very good technical skills. They know how to run spreadsheets. They know how to run a regression analysis. They mm-hmm. uh, you know, they know how to do market research, whatever. They've got all that going on. Um, but technical skills aren't what take you to the top of a, of a corporation, but they are presupposed i mean if you don't have the technical skills you won't go any further you'll you'll flunk out or be fired so the technical skills in this context are the gifts so we do want to refine those gifts we do want them to go to a higher level right. we want to, you yes. know we want to get better again back to corporate analogy you want to get better at running spreadsheets you want to be better at doing market research you want to do better at executing marketing campaigns. Absolutely got to have those skills and you got to get to where you're doing them bigger and you know more complex and you know I didn't I didn't do multi-billion dollar mergers and acquisitions when I started. I didn't even know what questions to be asking, but I did know a little bit about putting a spreadsheet together and as I did more and more of it, I got better and better and pretty soon I could build a complex model that would embody everything. But none of that's the same as knowing when to keep your mouth shut. In a, le- in a meeting with senior management. Yeah. None of that's the same as when somebody says, oh, we told you you're going to have 20 minutes to present your project to the board of directors. Uh, there's been a change in the board agenda. You need to summarize it and give it in two minutes, not not one second longer. And so being able to, con- to distill, summarize, and deliver it with, with accuracy and get the key points because you don't have time for the other 18 minutes of content. All of that is soft skills. Do you realize when you set people off because of whatever it is that you do that sets people off? Do you realize when you walk into a room that you are, as we might say, in the presence of greatness and the people sitting in that room are making enough money that literally this meeting meeting is costing us $25,000 a minute in terms of what the salary rate is. And so can you make your comments worth $25,000 a minute? All of these are soft skills. They have nothing to do with whether you know how to run a spreadsheet or do market research. That's already presupposed. You wouldn't even be on deck to be in that room if you didn't have the technical skills, the hard skills down. But now we gotta work the soft skills and all this stuff that Adam was just talking about. You know rejection can you take correction are you teachable and you just on and on submitting words all of that is the soft skills and corporations spend a lot of time and money developing that in their leaders we don't tend to spend as much uh time and money on it in the church but we really should and we need to create a culture within the church where that's not only not frowned upon or viewed as weird or controlling but we actually view it as this is necessary for the, for the health of the body, but also for the development of that individual. It's ultimately for their own good too.
1: Absolutely right. And I think um, I know a little bit about your, your story, Adam, and your growing up years, you know, and you were raised in, uh, you were raised in a line of prophets and uh, in, in a church that, that actually had a pretty good development Program And I don't want to call it a program because it's more of a relationship. I understand, you know, but they were pretty good at that. And, and yet even still, um, there were, there were more things that God needed to add to your table to, mm-hmm. to bring you to a place where you could be, um, I don't want to say trustworthy because I think you've been I think I think sometimes we we just mark something as a, someone as untrustworthy because because they have a wounding that has gotten in the way or caused things to blow up. But mm-hmm. but to come to a place of of even greater maturity so that you can handle even more influence, let's say. And um, so I, I'd like to hear from you a little bit about I want. I, this is what I want from you if there are pastors and leaders who are listening to this and going wow yeah i have some prophets in my in my house you know and um and we haven't really i'm recognizing that we haven't maybe done a great job of mentoring them bringing them up what would you say were the would the key elements be for actually developing adding to the development because it's not just the the person with the call that is responsible for their development it's also the the senior leadership of a house that's that's responsible for stewarding that gift to the church so it also, what would it's you also say the to congregation that? yes that's, that's right so please whole, speak to that
2: yeah so um this is this is an interesting so you know, maybe you're there and you have the prophetic people using the, the picture you gave and you don't know how to help them. Well, one of the first things I think that we don't say enough of is recognize what you can't do, right? If you don't know how to raise up profits, don't try to. You need to supplement, like you need to go outside of of your house and bring someone in that has a track record with that or get connected to someone that can help. And and maybe they don't get the hands-on that would be the ideal, right? The Elijah-Elisha dynamic, but you can still bring in, and this is where the itinerant dynamic does work is when you bring in someone and i think it's this is also where if you're actually going to bring someone in a mentor you shouldn't be bringing in a hundred different voices you need to bring somebody in consistently maybe for a year or over a two-year period every quarter and say hey this guy's going to come in you know you bring him in and have him meet with the senior leadership team what's your vision what are your boundaries how do you want church to operate what's the order of protocol here what is the protocol of this house because as Ken mentioned, we have soft skills, but there are different distinctions of soft skills. There's soft skills that are needed for the public service. There's a series of soft skills that are needed for the back room and with leadership. There's soft skills for dealing with people outside of the church, right? And each of these soft skills and even the language and dialect are different, right? You don't talk outside the house the same way you talk with house language. And leaders don't want to hear all the pet words that sometimes you say in front of the congregation because they already get it and understanding the different vocabulary needed right so but if let's say you have these people and you're going i don't know what to do first you, you need to be reaching out some prophets you trust or reaching out you know if you're watching this email Kim. and there are books and, I, and, and hear me there are some terrible books out there terrible <laughs> every prophetic book isn't good um the, the high majority of them are not even scriptural so i won't even pretend um but if you're watching this um i mean, both of you are laughing because it's true. I mean, we all, we don't want to say it. I know some of you are sponsored by people that you know write those books, but that's between you and them. So <laughs> with that said, Cam, as she gives me that face. The, um, you know, there's a lot of books out there that are not good, but there's some out there that are phenomenal. Some out there that, are, that do a great job. And, and, and if you have prophetic people like, well, I don't like to read. Well, then you don't get to speak, right? <laughs> we don't let anybody in public speak that doesn't like to read. just facts. No one gets a lectern in any world, in any society that doesn't do reading. So this idea of like, well, I don't want, no, no, no. If you're going to be trusted in this house, there's some things and some protocols and some trainings we want to go through. Let's get good, good education, good books in them. Let's get them out to some healthy conferences. Let's get them connected with some prophetic people that are willing to do some mentoring. Let's bring in some people to help this. Um, I think the worst problem that we have right now is We have a lot of shepherds or pastors, whatever your vernacular is, and even apostles. I'll use that language because there's a lot of would-be apostles that are operating, um, who really have no grid for the prophetic. And so they're trying to establish prophetic protocol without any understanding of how it operates. And what they're actually doing is they're quenching the spirit. They're stifling the prophetic. So what do you do in that situation? Recognize what you don't know. The biggest, the biggest thing that's killing the prophetic right now is nobody wants to admit what they don't know on any subject, right? Everybody knows the next president because we're going to get there at some point. Everybody knows the next thing. Everybody knows all this stuff. But nobody wants to say, wait a second, I actually don't know that. That's outside of my wheelhouse. I'm, I don't have maturity in that area. I don't have expertise in that area. But let me connect you with someone who does. Right. And that's the other problem, because we're all climbing and we're all building stages. None of us want to pass the ball off to our friend who might be better suited at it than us. And if we went back to kingdom and less empire and we actually started to think about what it looks like to collaborate and not compete, we would find that the body is being strengthened and we're bringing the right tools in for the right job. I might not be the prophet for your house. I might be too abrasive, too direct, too polemic, as Kim likes to say. So let's find someone that's a little bit softer with them because that might be their introductory. Maybe you need somebody that's very analytical, very right down to the T. Well, I'm going to say Ken Fish might be your guy, right? Because I've already sat with him a couple conversations. I realize he's going to be analytical. He's going to make sure you know what he's saying and it's written out clearly. Well, then we need to know and be able to plug and and match and and help where the weaknesses are.
1: Ken, I want to ask you, what do you think? What is the appropriate platform for a prophet? I think that we've we've talked about this a little bit in another in another context, but um, where where are prophets supposed to speak? And and you did mention earlier about um, that. <laughs> really, it's very valuable to know when not to speak. But what what is the appropriate venue or platform? Is it always a conference? What is what is where should prophets be speaking?
3: It may not it may not always be a conference and for some it may never be a conference. I mean, let, let's just take somebody that everyone knows and who's a really obvious example, Bob Jones. Did he have an, an unbelievable gift? Unquestionably. Was he fit for public consumption? Not always. I mean, he did get on platforms because they people did want to platform the gift and, and show him showcase him because You know, he represented so many things well, but but I mean, he would show up to conferences in a ripped T-shirt with a stain on the front of it. And he he didn't even think this is not not appropriate. And so um, that there's an example of, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, where Bob was really at his best. I mean, he would tell his uh, parables and his stories from the stage and people would hang on them. But a lot of times people didn't really get what he was saying. Bob was best in the back room. That's where he did. That's where he shined. You could bring in 50 people. He did it with a team of ours from Anaheim Vineyard years ago. And we had about 50 on the team. And he went down the line. There was one person he said, I don't have a word for you. And he skipped them. Every other person, he nailed every single person. And I don't mean nailed them like, you know, really read their mail and like called them out and showed them all their dirty laundry. I don't mean it that way. Like every word was just like bang, 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 bang. (laughs) And, but that's where Bob really shined. So yeah, he did get platform, but a lot of the stuff that he did that really got people's attention was because he would, well, walk into Mike Bickle's office and say, you know, here's what Papa said, or here's what's going on. And so a lot of people think the highest and best is to be on a stage. And for some that is where they're destined to be. But um, I don't like the word destined. Let me strike that from the record because so many people are questing after their destiny these days. It it may be their calling and the Lord is gonna, I mean, Bill Johnson, Bill's amazing on a big stage, right? Amazing. Who doesn't wanna listen to Bill Johnson? Okay, so some people that's that's really a good place for them to be, but other people, not as much. They may not be well spoken, they may have no sense of time and they speak too long. There's all this stuff that goes on. but the the thing, the other thing that I want to say to this, and John Wimber used to teach this, so I'm, I'm really echoing his sentiments. The best place to raise, uh, people who are prophetic, is in small groups, because they can give words there, and you can test them immediately, for validity and accuracy. And if it doesn't work out, everybody laughs and goes in the kitchen and has a brownie and drinks some coffee, and then we all go home. And it, they're no, they're no worse for the wear. But if you happen to find your way because you're a good networker and Machiavellian uh, to where you are now standing on some very prominent stage and you start calling out words and they're wrong, well, this doesn't honor the Lord. That's our number one concern. Um, it makes the prophet, so-called, look like a fool or maybe maybe they're drunk or maybe they don't actually have this gift that we thought they had. But there's all that kind of thinking that starts to emerge and depending on to whom they are speaking and how they deliver that word it could be damaging to the third party intended recipient or the word they bring as with the trump prophecies it falls to the ground and it brings ridicule and disgrace on the church broadly so let's train people in small groups if they have a gift, it'll become obvious soon enough, and that will open a way. You know, the, the Scripture says in Proverbs, a man's gift makes way for him. It does say a man, but it, it's also true of women, so please nobody get offended and send hate mail. Um, but, but you know, the gift kind of opens the, the doorway for you, and if we're faithful with what we've been given, more will be given. Jesus said this, if you're faithful in little, you'll be given more. And so the best way to grow and to achieve that kind of recognition and status that, you know, people often are seeking is to be uh, ministering first in, in a small sphere, then maybe in a somewhat bigger sphere, maybe ultimately a medium sphere. Maybe it keeps going and you do end up on a, on a, a platform somewhere. OK, great. That's fine. But that's how we do it. And in every step along the way, we're doing all the things that Adam talked about. What's going on in your heart? Um, How is it in your marriage? Do you pay your bills on time? Are you honest in the things that you say or are you prone to evangelistic behavior? Um, All of this is what we're looking for in the person alongside of can they get a word which happens to be amazingly accurate and it, it's just it, it takes that time so that the community of faith can say this person is known and trusted among us and we really believe in them I mean I I've, I've seen many situations in my life where somebody who's really a nobody right I don't mean they're nobody in the eyes of God I, I, I don't mean it that way I'm just saying in terms of their social media following and you know whether they get giant honorariums and they're flying around the world, but you know they're just some. There might be a woman who's raising children, and she has little kids at home, or it could be some guy who's got a job. But I've I've gone to a church, and the pastor will say, "Hey, I want to introduce you to so and so. They have a word for you." Oh, okay. Well, why is the pastor putting them in front of me? Because they've proven themselves in the context of being a mom or a you know whatever the. The male equivalent is the business guy or, you know, whatever. They're a professor in a university. They can be doing anything. But again, in terms of their, their global view, nobody knows who these people are, but they deliver these words that are cracking words. I mean, they're just devastatingly accurate. And they some of these are words that you could run on for years because of the, the profundity of them and the, dur- the duration into which they're speaking. But you know how that pastor knows who that person is, because they're known in the church, because they're serving Community. the Sunday school. They're they're working around a small group. They go to Bible study. They're they're working in the warehouse, giving food out to the those that are less advantaged. They serve in the men's ministry. They but in that context, in many different dimensions, people are going, oh yeah, this guy's got the goods, man. You may have never heard of him, but you really do want to know who this person is and hear what they say. <laughs>
1: Adam, I want to go back just for a second, and then we're going to move to our last question, which I've been waiting to hear uh, what you guys have to say about this. Uh, But I want to go back for a second, because when we talked about um, stewarding the gift of a prophet in your church and mentoring and developing them, you said that it wasn't only the responsibility of the person called it wasn't only the responsibility of the senior leadership, but it was also the responsibility of the congregation. That's what I want to hear from you. What, how, how is this in any way? And I, I, I think I know what you're gonna say, but how in this in any way is the responsibility of the person in the pew?
2: Okay. Um, so <laughs> the, I was raised, and in, in, it's been mentioned, I was raised in a prophetic house that had been a prophetic house for decades right so a lot of times this doesn't work in sort of our upstart you know church is three years old they don't have culture developed yet but when you've developed true culture the community starts to be able to recognize the word of the lord they start to bear witness because they've learned the sound of approved words right they've been around enough to go wait a something and it was amazing because I, when I was growing up, this was the scariest thing because it wasn't always the prophet. Sometimes it'd be those praying ladies. The praying ladies would almost always be the first head tick. Like, if you saw one of like, there was like, there was, like Aunt Dorothy and Patty Bowman and, you know, Marie Wetzel. And like, I, I can think of the praying ladies, right? I'm naming them in my church. If you saw like, and you were prophesying, you saw their head tick, you knew you were probably. In some dangerous water, <laughs> like this like, this might Sons, not Sons. land well, right? Because they had been trained enough in the community. Like when I say, like Patty Bowman. Patty Bowman had was a scribe for a church. She had typed out every pro, almost every prophecy ever given. Thousands of prophecies she had typed out after listening to it on cassette tape, right? She knew the word of the Lord. She'd come up to you in church and say, "The word of the Lord for your life." You were told this when you were eight, and you were this when you were twelve. That's what I mean when I talk about the community. When the community starts to recognize words you've been given, the calling yeah. on your life. When they start to give feedback to how you minister. Right. I remember one time I, I gave a lady in our church. I mean, I read her the Riot Act, and I knew I I knew it. I knew I hit. I knew <laughs> I like I like even like I'm here. I'm like mm, that was good, Adam. Right. That woman blistered me because the way i gave the word i knew i was right and she could feel the hubris of a young guy who knew he was on point point. and she went you had everything just right but i don't feel like i'm not jesus Ouch. all of a sudden all of a sudden you you, you walk away you know you you thought you were rocking the champ you're holding a hand up and then all of a sudden the belt gets handed off to the other guy and you're like wait, wait what just happened here i won the fight like i hit every note but it but but again the community starts to say hey young buck Hey, hey, you know, hey, you know, a spy. You know, you're going up the hill. We see you, but like we're seeing this and we're seeing this, and um, mm-hmm. and so you had that. You also had this dynamic in the community. A lot of times, the people that are doing, like even now, so you know, if we go back to some of my time in Virginia, the people in the community were people that were doing my inner healing, right? So they knew me, and they knew my weaknesses, and they knew my flaws, and they knew when I was coming into service and something was a little bit off. And they'd walk up, I think of Sarah Kramer short, Adam, you all right? Uh, and they're like, and if I tried to give her some answer, you know, or you're trying to just move it on so you can go back to doing the thing, she'd look at you like, like, we've done hours of prayer work together, young man. Like, I'm fully aware you're lying to me. Like, okay, well, this happened on the way to, you know, me and my wife were fighting, and I'm just, okay, what do you want to pray about? Yeah, you know, let's just step outside, let's pray through that, let's forgive, so that you don't come into service and release that into the atmosphere, right?
1: Because so you there, will.
2: Yeah, because you that's the other thing. Because you know, will. You know, I can compartmentalize my soul and the spirit's going to come through clean. Like you're n- nonsensical to think that. The vessel yeah. is you. So whatever it comes, whatever's in there is coming out. And it may not come out in its mass. So you because every every person, every prophetic person has weaknesses. Your weaknesses may not always bleed out, but if you're not working on them, at some point inevitably yeah. they'll start to show up. They'll show up yeah. in the way you minister, they'll show up in your words, they'll show up in your character. And so, yeah, the, the community has this ability, especially when we start raising up people and letting them actually minister and be effective in ministry, where maybe they're not a prophet, but they are, you know, in the sense of they're not in the, the eldership, you know, leadership role, but they are truly a prophet. And you come in as the, you know, the, uh, the prophet of the house, whatever language you want, and they walk up and go, the Lord told me this for you this week. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, no, I didn't know that was coming today. Like, didn't didn't know anybody saw that. That's the community helping develop the prophet, and that's yes. iron sharpening iron, and that submit one to another is under the Holy Spirit. That's when all of a sudden, now every now to go back to Ken's statement, every Christian doesn't need to be a prophet. Why? Because every Christian can correct one.
1: <laughs> yes, and you know, think about think about this as I'm listening to you. Two two things come up in my heart, and uh, and I feel really moved right now. Um, but it becomes a place of safety. There is no safety if, if you never get to hear the truth about what you're doing wrong. Is there, is there any child coming up in a family when they're never corrected? Is there real safety in that? No, there's not because then, then you're apt to go outside after, you know, when you are released to go out, you, you, you've never been told what it's like in the real world. You've never been corrected. You've never faced that. And now you really are out there uh, put up for public humiliation, you know, set up for that. And that's because you never had the kind of community that you're talking about, Adam. And the other thing that I was thinking while you were talking, I didn't, I don't know about, about you, Ken, but I was like, I want to be part of a community like that. Like, you know, it makes you hungry, for We're all community, <laughs> yeah, we want to. you right. We want the we want Aunt Betty in the community, right? Yeah. We we mm-hmm. we want these people in our community. And I and I wonder if that so much of that is missing. You know, it in the church, and we don't have time to go into all of that because we could. And I don't want to condemn the church because I love the local church. I have such a heart for the local church, but. But this is exactly what it should be like in the church. It should be like a family where you get corrected when you're off. You get called on your stuff because they want you to be better. And because, you know, when my children are growing up and I see them acting up and I say, you know, or (laughs) you talk about PMS. Listen, I raised two daughters, you know, and they're slamming doors, you know, and going a little bit crazy and and. Rather than get mad, I'm going, oh, I know what that is. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And they have a little mm-hmm. grace today for that because I know what that is. And they're young women who don't yet know how to handle that hormonal thing that go mm-hmm. they're going through. Right. I mean, you know, and then other times when, oh, oh, no, you are not going to speak to your mother like that. I mean, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: this creates safety in the yep. community. We have to have. Not only the senior leaders on board, but we also need the community of Christ on board in this whole thing, because we want our prophets not only to de- be developed so that they can have influence. We want that, but we want their hearts protected and we don't want to set them up for failure and humiliation. That That's not that's not right. You know, I don't, I don't want to, and this is a big problem too. I think, I think a lot of very talented, very gifted, uh, prophets and evangelists and, you know, leaders in the church, I think that sometimes they get used for their gift or they, they end up feeling used for their gift, but not loved as a person. And that's not okay either that that's not okay. So, that's all I'm going to say about that because we could go on and on, but I really want to get to the next question and, and land this, this three-episode plane, which has been uh, phenomenal. And uh, and I hope that you'll come back with me again sometime. Um, but And I want to make one quick correction. I know this is an odd place to make it, but while I'm seeing it right here, I earlier said you can find Ken Fish at OrbisMinistries.com, but it's orbisministries.org. Org, so just so that you know, um, because you're going to want to look up these two gentlemen and not just wait for them to come onto my broadcast another time later. Um, but here's what I want to say. So, we began two episodes ago uh, in the first episode talking about the course correction that we need that needs to be made in this in uh, in this hour and the opportunity we have to speak into that and to begin to talk about how to make those changes, how do we get here? What's missing? And so I want to go all the way back to what exposed some of this and that was of course the Trump prophecies. Now, those who are listening, do not get all political on me because you know I've said that before. I don't like that and I'm not and I'm not getting political on you. I want to talk about some principles in prophetic ministry and our ministry as prophets. And so I want to ask, because I've heard both sides um, of this uh, in other places, and I want to hear from the two of you who I love so much. Um, is it okay for prophets to make predictions? And further, is, well, is that biblical? Is it is it scriptural? Or is it theologically correct? Um, and then further, is it okay for them to prophesy a president. And so I don't want to get into, I'm not getting trying to get into the whole nationalism issue, which I've talked about in other places before. And I think that we did go there and I think we need to pull back from that. Um, however, um, I, well, though, so there's my question. I won't go any farther cause I'll, will go on too long. So who wants to take that first? So I'm going to just let you guys battle that one out. Who wants to go Ken, first? Do
2: you want do You want to take the final word on this, Ken? <laughs> and clean up my mess.
3: I I don't think you've made a mess, so I don't think there's anything to clean up. Um, Generally speaking, I don't think this is, this is a normative practice. And therefore it's not necessarily a good practice. Um, That's not to say it can't ever happen, but it's not the norm so scripturally do we have examples of this yes josiah the king was prophesied by name uh by an unknown prophet who was actually speaking against the wrongdoing and excesses of the false temple in bethel in the north kingdom of israel um jesus was prophesied by name uh before his birth and we have in the book of isaiah Uh, chapter 45, no, this was not referring to Donald Trump. It was referring to a Persian king named Cyrus, who, who came to power, defeated the Babylonians and allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild their city, their civilization, and most importantly, their temple. So we have at least these three examples in scripture. So yes, it occurs, but Number one, most people aren't good enough to be able to pull that off. And number two, even if they are good enough, they may not get those kinds of words from the Lord. Again, you can't just make this stuff up. So even if your gift is that refined, you may go a lifetime and God would never give you a word about the name of a president. So... Um, th- i i'm I'm on the edge of a knife here right on the one hand there is biblical precedent on the other hand i'm saying but it's not that common and so we probably shouldn't expect it to come about all that often now could god choose to do it say at the next election he could will he i don't know i have no word from the lord on that I, I just don't, right? And, it was good and maybe modeling. We'll, maybe we'll maybe we'll get uh, a little more clarity on that as things get closer. Um. But I, I you know, I, we talked about this before, so I don't want to just rehash it. But I will just say we have to be very careful of our prevailing biases and yes. sentiments, and we have to we must develop internally a mechanism not only for identifying when those things are in play, but for screening them out so that they don't color whatever words from God we may be getting, or alternatively, so that we do not make up words from God that aren't really words from God and then call them words from God. There, that's that's what I've got to say on that. Adam, over to you.
2: Uh, So, I think there's a couple of things worth asking in in, in this question i don't actually know that we really should be sharing prophetic words over social media i don't know that there's a biblical precedent for it um i'll actually say i think there's probably not a biblical precedent for it because again every prophet spoke to their intended audience and that audience they had authority In relation to, because they had responsibility within that audience. Mm -hmm. So when a prophet got up on behalf of old covenant Israel and spoke, and they were speaking as a prophet, they had authority because as a prophet, they were responsible in some degree for the people of God. At bare minimum for being a, a convoy between God and his people, right? The messenger of that dynamic. And so there's a, I'm always a little bit nervous when people are taking authority in places they have no responsibility. And social media has invited many people to claim authority in arenas. They have zero levels of responsibility. And I think that's a really unhealthy practice. Let's take a step further. All right. Let's, let's say you want to say, no, we're called to prophesy about kings and, and presidents, and that's what God's called me to do. And that, okay, cool. Let's, I'll give it to you. Will you then fulfill the rest of the Old Testament mandate, the, the 80% that is forth and not foretelling? Mm-hmm. Will you rebuke that political party when they're right. wrong, right? Like, let me let me pick a name that's not going to be normal for this audience and people won't like. But let me grab a Cornell West. That's not really up anybody's anybody's level. But you know what? Neat things about Cornell that I really enjoy. Um, Cornell's he's liberal, right? He's, a, he's He is. But right when, when Barack Obama did wrong, he called him out. When Republicans did wrong, he called them out. Right? And he is someone who carries and says that he carries a prophetic voice. And one of the things, whether I agree with all of his politics or how that plays out or what that looks like in its implementation, one of the things I love about this man is that he has no problem calling out. The thing that scared me the most amongst the Trump prophecies is how much defending we were doing of a man, how many things we were excusing on his behalf. God could have raised him up, and we still could have rebuked him. Right. The problem is what happened is instead we got in bed with power. And this is, I think the most dangerous thing about the modern prophetic movement is we don't realize how Constantinian we are. We want power. Mm
3: -hmm. We
2: want to be close to power. We want to have authority. We want to have influence, but that is not how the early church operated. They were not after power by means of politic or by means of empire. They were after power by means of intimacy. Right. And so there's a place for us in the prophetic movement if we're gonna pull back. Like if you if you really believe God has spoken to you by the next president, cool, right? That's fine. Um, but are you then also going to be a prophet to that president? And are you going to admit when that president is a false king? And not because that because that's the other thing. The prophets did they not only did they put kings in place, but then they would turn around and say, But that king right there that God told me, ready? Let's go to Samuel. That king right there who God told me to God's lifted his spirit off him. And he's going to take his house from him because he did wrong. And I think so much of our modern prophetic movement when it comes to prediction is so yes. hyped up on foretelling. And there's no part of them that wants to foretell, that wants to speak to the, to the absolute atrocities, right? If you want to say that republicanism is the answer, cool, knock yourself out. But are we going to talk about war and war profiteering? Are we going to talk about a prison industrial complex? Are we going to speak to the issues on the right? No, are we just going to say they're anti-abortion, so yay. If we're going to say that we're left, are we going to deal with some of the issues of abortion and all the things that aren't okay with that? Are we going to address the issues of culture and the issues of morality? Right, and what we end up having is we end up having these prophetic voices who are speaking in echo chambers to everyone that agrees with them. They have no dialogue with people who disagree, and they have no substance to say to either. And for me, I think that's a pathetic rendering of the Old Testament prophet.
1: Tell me how you really feel.
3: I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Let me just say one thing. And this is more of a question for everyone to ponder a bit. Isaiah's ministry shifted decisively from chapter 39 of his book to chapter 40. I actually think Isaiah had three distinct prophetic callings the first ones in chapter 6 the second one chapter 40 third one in chapter 60 um, Scholars like to call it, you know uh, First second and third Isaiah, but I, I think that's really false it, It's just his voice changed because of the nature of the new assignment. He'd been given um, in chapter 40 uh This is the very beginning of it. Comfort my people. Before the words are very much having to do with judgment and things that are amiss, but now it's comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And in 40 verse 9, the Lord gives Isaiah a specific assignment. He says, get thee up to a high mountain and there proclaim and say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. I don't know how literally Isaiah took that, but it could be understood to be, Isaiah, climb up on a mountain, raise your voice and shout out over the valleys and all the towns and everything below, because of the way it's gonna echo and resound, they will hear this. That would have been the nearest thing to social media that they had in those days. And that's Isaiah 40 verse nine, the Cyrus prophecy comes in chapter 45. It's not a very long chapter, um, so it's only a few verses. But it's in that context of shouting aloud that Isaiah does speak of this king who would come named Cyrus. Note, however, he's not going to come to power for about 250 years. So this is a word that really had to be tested over time (laughs) before it landed and they realized how, how true it was. I'm not. I'm not thereby pushing back on what you're saying, Adam, of course. Uh, and saying that it's it because I do think the whole social media thing has gotten completely out of hand. Yes, uh, and and people are really using social media to self promote and say, "Look at me, look at me," and I am a prophet. And by the way, send money to my ministry, or better yet, to me directly. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of you know all of that that goes on. Um, But we do at least have that one example where it appears that Isaiah uh, stood in some kind of a place where it was a shall we say a mass distribution of a message,
1: a shout out, Mm -hmm.
3: yeah, something. And again, I'm not saying that this becomes our normal means of prophesying. I just want to, I do just want to have people ponder that a little bit and and ask, okay, when might God do that if He were going to do it again?
2: I think, and if I can ponder it quickly and just give some thought while you were talking, I do believe there are times that God wants the word of the Lord to get out beyond a certain congregation, let's say, where God has given somebody a voice to, uh, to the nation. Um, I can think back to John Jimenez when he was first doing Washington for Jesus and he was calling everyone there and he was saying, hey, we're gonna stand in the mall, we're gonna pray for the nation and prophetic people came into that ceremony and they began to declare things for the nation, right? Those are solemn assemblies. Right. We have the scriptures speaking of solemn assemblies. Yeah. Um, I think the danger for us is we've turned social media into a non-stop solemn assembly where <laughs> everything I get is declared out publicly and everything I get is for mass consumption. Right. And the other thing is this that I do think that you know, if let, let's pick a I don't even know that there is a voice that I would go like, wow, this guy. Um, but let's let's uh let's say Chris. All right, we'll use Chris Valentine. Let's say Chris said, Hey, the Lord spoke something to me for the larger body of Christ. And I am releasing this on social media, because I believe this is a word to the bride of Christ. Does he have enough influence and enough uh, within the certain circles? Yeah. Here's the neat thing. Most Baptists are never going to hear. it. Lutherans can have no idea that Joker's said it. Episcopalians, they don't even know who he is. Like, so so even in that context, it's only going to be within the circle that he has influence or that actually registers with. But I I do think that you're going to need to be on that level of influence before you really have words that are supposed to be, you know, given out in mass. And I'll be really honest, the only two national prophets that I can think of in the last hundred years, and this is a little bit weird, but I'll say it, Billy Graham and Martin Luther King Jr., I, I don't recognize any other national prophets in America. And that'll throw some people because I go until you're actually calling the nation to turn, until change comes because of your declaration, and until presidents stop and listen to what you have to say, you're not a national prophet. You're just a guy that likes a big
1: mic. <laughs>
0: well,
1: and I think this also this also speaks to the need uh, to get back to the local church, yeah, and uh, and that the congregation also has a responsibility here. Uh, with judging the word of the Lord, calling prophetic people and prophets on the word of the Lord. And, um, and also, I'll just quickly say social media is not your local church. Yeah, you know, it can't be your community exactly because right. it can't know you, right. it can't know your weakness, it can't call you on anything you know, um, it can, it can bring condemnation and judgment and humiliation, all those kinds of things. Uh, but it can't build your life and, and help, uh, uh, develop your character and, and further your ministry in, uh, by healing your heart and then, um, giving you, uh, the kind of trust and and the things that you need to be really a true influence. And so I think those are very worthwhile things to talk about. I do think I have felt like and I've and I I heard someone else say this too it was an echo of what I'd been thinking that um that this also is not just the 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 mess, let's say, um is not does not only belong to the prophets, um, but it also belongs to the whole of the church because we have looked for predictive prophecy more than any other kind of prophecy. Mm-hmm. It's become yeah. the, the measure or the bar that you have to uh, jump over if you're going to be considered a prophet and your ministry is going to be considered. And of course, As as a prophet, you have to resist that and you have to resist that pressure to become something that you're not called to be and to do things that you're not called to do. Uh, And at the same time, um, as as a prophet, you know, I'm calling the body of Christ on that part, on their part, saying that you added to this, you know, and so it's not just the prophetic movement that needs a course correction, but we all need to receive a course correction in this times. Um, and again, not for condemnation. We have come so far. We've come so far and um, and God is, is continuing to move in and among us and he hasn't abandoned us. And so we don't abandon ministry. We don't abandon prophets. We don't abandon what God is doing. So this has been a lovely And very enlightening conversation. Spirit been very honest. Thank you uh, for sharing your stories. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your theological and biblical understanding of what it means to be a prophet and to be a leader in the body of Christ and what and and how important the local church is. You know how much I love the local church, and I feel very uh, very convicted lately um, by the Lord, I believe that that pastors are going to become a very important resource uh, in this next in this next immediate future, because even prophets need pastoring. Mm-hmm. This is how the cure anime the the cure of the soul happens through the prophetic. I mean, through the pastoral office and. We talked a lot about that in these three sessions, how much the prophet needs, the pastor needs, the teacher needs, the apostle and needs the evangelist. We we all need each other. It's a round table, not a hierarchy. So thank you so much for joining us on Move Forward with Dr. Kim Moss. And uh, I've been your host, and have, these have been my friends, Ken Fish, who you can find at orbisministries.org, and Adam Knapp, who you can find at The Branch. Is there an email address for that, Adam?
2: The best way, if you're just going to go on like social media, will be at The Branch and see so if you just look up at the branch NC, we're in Apex Carry, you can find our church and you can there'll be email contacts, all sorts of things that you can connect
1: with us. That's great. And and Adam, please please finish publishing your books. On the prophet, I'm going to say that publicly because they are some of the best that uh, in the business, and uh, and we need to have your voice in uh, in writing that can reach a lot more people than just on a podcast or in the local church, which uh, is important as we have said. But thank you everybody for joining me today. I hope that you will go back and listen to the the two weeks prior to this one and get the fullness of our conversation. Uh, look up these two men who are great friends of mine and colleagues uh, in the prophetic and in the ministry. And uh, we'll see you next time on Move Forward.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.